Hi, I'm Sophie, Marketplace Risks AI Assistant. Welcome to Series 9 of the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk founder Jeremy Gottschalk. The Platform Podcast features marketplace and digital platform founders and leaders sharing valuable lessons that can be leveraged to help you successfully launch and grow. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com for a referral. Welcome to the Platform Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Caroline Humer, the co-founder of the Trust and Safety Forum and child protection expert. In fact, Caroline's career spans many decades working in child protection. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. I hope I introduced you well, but can you talk briefly about your background um, and specifically kind of what led you to develop the Trust and Safety Forum? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. So it, it does go back 20 years now or 21 years, actually. Um, I came uh, across from Europe, so Switzerland and the UK, and essentially started work at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, uh, where I learned how to gather intelligence and analyze child sexual abuse material uh, or online child sexual exploitation, um, and then forward that to law enforcement um, across the world. Um, after that, after two and a half years of essentially viewing pornography, identifying uh, CSAM, as we call it now, um, child sexual abuse material. I moved over to the International Center for Missing and Exploited Children, uh, where I became the vice president uh, of the Missing Children's Program, which allowed me to work with countries all over the world in setting up Amber Alert programs, train law enforcement on investigating missing children uh, from abductions to runaways to uh, the connections to exploitation and online exploitation. And then I essentially left two and a half years ago, 2021, end of 2021, and said I need a new adventure, as a lot of people uh, also did that after sort of COVID and uh, aspect of things. And um I reached out to a colleague of mine in France who is in the cybersecurity space, also an independent consultant like me, and we chatted and we just felt that there was a gap within Europe uh, in relation to trust and safety. We, or at least me being based in Washington, D.C., felt there is a lot happening in the U.S. between a lot of the different companies taking place, including marketplace risk, of course, I was like, well, let's not try to do, reinvent the wheel within the U.S. Let's try to do something in Europe um, that brings a European perspective to trust and safety and looking at it from a European uh, sort of lens versus U.S. coming into Europe and saying this is what we need in, in the U.S., Sure. And that's when we partnered together and created the Trust and Safety Forum. So we are now in our third edition coming up in, uh, what is it, March, in a month. Um, and uh, it's uh, really picking up. It's really the place for the European community to talk about trust and safety from all aspects. So regulations, nonprofits, hotlines, uh, platforms um, and, and other aspects and connecting it to cybersecurity. 
that sort of the, the partnership that we then created was not only with my colleague Jean-Christophe, but was also with the Inside Forum, which is the largest cybersecurity conference in Europe. Right, right. I'm, I'm curious, I, I want to go down, um, uh, down that path, but I'm curious from the essentially two decades that you spent um, kind of in child protection, how that, I mean, obviously a lot changed, but particularly like the internet's evolution over those 20 years, kind of how that, I guess your job changed, the outlook changed, the, you know, that, that responsibility, that function changed, because I imagine you know, 20 years is a long time when you're talking internet, right? I mean, it's kind of, you're, you're kind of there at the beginning and then saw it through to what we're, what we're seeing now. I'm just curious yeah. if there's any kind of major themes. Yeah, I, I think there are major themes. I think sometimes I feel like we're reinventing the wheel today, even though we're having the same as we're having the same discussions as 20 years ago or 15 years ago, but in different manners. So, you know, to give you an example from the child protection side, you know, when I started 2003, 2004, 5, 6, we still called it child pornography and not child sexual abuse material. It took a long time of between 2006 to about 2010 or so where we really worked hard as an industry to make sure that it's no longer called child pornography, but child sexual abuse material. And that's picked up, even though the media still calls it child pornography, unfortunately. But um, now we're having discussions, similar discussions on how do we, what do we call sextortion or what's the difference between uh, sextortion and sexting or online enticement. And so now we're trying to have a similar discussion on a different topic, but still finding the terminology. Mm-hmm. And it's constantly building that, that aspect of knowledge and awareness, same way with trust and safety. Trust and safety existed 20 years ago. We just didn't call it that. Right. The name trust and safety really has come up, what, in the last 10 years, maybe? Sure, yeah just barely. So it is something that's been developing, but hasn't caught a name. And now that it's caught a name, we're still trying to identify it. So we're constantly reinventing the terminology to suit what the situation is at the current moment. And that's what makes it tough to keep up with, with conversations and discussions sometimes. Right. And, you know, it seems for, certainly from my perspective, because I have a, I mean, a, a similar, obviously mm-hmm. different path, but, you know, been doing this for about 20 years. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, now you see in the US, the EU, the UK, there's just every other day, there's a new regulation. And so it looks like they finally started to realize that like the internet poses real dangers to children, but it almost seems like it, it, there was no appreciation of that you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, all of a sudden we're starting to see it, which is great. But I feel like we're collectively late to the game. Not you, you've obviously been living in this, but but as a society, people are just now realizing that the internet poses real dangers, even the most well-intentioned platforms. But I think, yeah, but and I think we've had the same conversations when TV came out, right? From when we moved from radio into TV, I'm sorry, um, when we moved from radio into TV, it was a case that, oh, the TV is, is going to harm children, is going to harm society because now we're glued to, to a screen. 
uh, we're still streaming. We're still watching screens. We're still, you know, in different manners, but the TV's still there. And do we think it's dangerous? I think we argued that it was dangerous for a lot of times because we put age verification in, in the sense of certain, certain films were only allowed to play after 8 PM or 10 PM. Right. Because right. it had to be over 16 or 18, whatever it is. We're now doing the same thing with the internet, essentially saying, wait a minute. Yeah, there are some dangers on the internet. There's also good stuff on the internet, but we need to regulate it. We need to put right. something in place. We can't just have it as a wild, wild west. Right. And the regulations are the important part because that forces society, companies, first of all, but society to realize we need to look at this. We need to pay attention. If that is the parents, the kids, the schools, uh, and, and of course, then the, the tech companies as well. Right, right. And I think that's super important that everybody kind of shares in that. And I think that um, the education component, right, just from, from the language, um, as you were mentioning, but also, you know, the actual educational aspect of uh, how children are using the internet, how they're being exploited on the internet. And I feel like there's there, there's a whole new curriculum that needs to be developed to teach teachers and parents about the actual harms. Because I think so many times we don't know what our kids are doing online. We're not even aware. I don't even speak the same language anymore, right? right? I mean, right. you, you the, 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 everything changes so quickly. And so keeping up with it, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it does, I think it does take a, a community. I think the regulations are, are definitely a, a step in the right direction, but there's, there's a lot of education I think that needs to happen. I mean, uh, for, yeah, schools, exactly. And for a wholesome, for, if we want a 360 degree, um, uh, protection or safety online. It cannot just be one entity that does it. It right. can't just be the tech companies. It can't just be the parents teaching the children. It has to be all of us together in, from all different angles saying, here's what you need to be aware of. Right. And I think that's the important part is that each of us, regardless of what industry you're working in, has a role to play in this to say, look, we are online. Therefore, we have we need to make sure that whatever we put online is safe for right. consumption, whoever the cons consumer is yeah. to ensuring that it's also secure and won't be miss, uh, was it miss, um, misappropriated for other purposes that shouldn't be done for illegal purposes or other things. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's part of the, the, the interesting um, thing, I guess, that, that I learned when I, went into the tech field was, you know, I think every app or, or most apps, most websites have their kind of desired features and functionality, but there is um, a ridiculous amount of people whose sole goal is to exploit uh, the various features and functionalities and, you know, the best intentioned of apps and, and um, websites are, can be leveraged for nefarious purposes and just trying to keep up with that, let alone teaching kids like basic dangers about the internet. It's, it, it seems, you know, kind of beyond whack-a-mole, but I think that the, um, that community approach I think is, is really necessary. And now I think we're really starting to see, Thanks to lawsuits, thanks to regulations, thanks to just 
you know, evolution of the internet, we're starting to see some of these things happen and, and we need more of it, right? We definitely yeah. need more to your point. Like we need, there should be uh, trust and safety conferences on every content, you know, every week, as far as right. I'm concerned, because this is, this is, I think, perhaps one of the biggest threats Right. Everyone's on the Internet and, right. and it exposes everyone to danger. And, and I do think that I, I, probably 2024 is probably the, the most the, the year that has the most conferences of trust and safety. And it's probably still not enough. Right. Right. From what, totally what we see, it's just that the public doesn't see how much work we put in because right. they don't pay attention to this kind of work unless it impacts them directly. Right. Right. I think that's right. You, when you and I chatted previously, you you made this analogy. Um, uh, you analogized trust and safety industry to cybersecurity, and it really resonated because it seems like there has been um, a pretty good focus on cybersecurity for quite some time, um, but not so much on trust and safety until now, as you mentioned. I mean, I agree. It's about a 10-year-old, um, we'll call it a field. And I was curious kind of your thoughts and maybe if you could elaborate on that, because I think it's it's a really good analogy, I think, for people to understand. Um, yeah, I think it, so I think going continuing to our conversation, I mean, the internet's been around for more than 10 years, but most people have focused on the cybersecurity aspect. So cybersecurity only really came up because the internet has started to exist. But people were more focused about securing their data, their information as an enterprise or as a company, not focused on the outside, on the public side of things of, hey, we need to, we need to protect our customers or we need to protect our, our consumers. It was more about them and their information that they have. So cybersecurity has been around. So why not use and learn from what they've learned and how they built the industry for trust and safety? Because they go hand in hand, but they are separate. And and I've got I've got many friends in cybersecurity, and they go, oh no, trust and safety is is sort of the help desk of cybersecurity. Right? It's a little more than that. Right? It's not just help desk and making sure that you can buy whatever you want. Right. Right. But it's more than that. So we, the trust and safety community and and the discipline and the industry is there to ensure that the consumers have protection and can, and have a great time online, regardless of what they do, if, if they're shopping or gaming or on social media or just reading the news you, you trust and safety is there to build the trust and the brand that your that your company and your enterprise is there for, right? Mm-hmm. If that is GE selling spare parts to live streaming sports to renting an Airbnb to social right. media meta whatever you want to call it, right? Right. So right. I think that the cybersecurity and trust and safety go hand in hand. They need to work together, but are separate. Right. But we don't need to reinvent the wheel if we can look at this little bit older industry than trust and safety. That is cybersecurity is a little older than us, but not by much. But they've they've had the issue of who, what do you do? What is this? Mm-hmm. Right. And they've now established that if you go anywhere and say, "Oh, I'm in cybersecurity." Nobody asks and looks at you strangely going, what is that? Right, 
(laughs) Everybody understands, even if they don't understand what that means, the same thing for trust and safety. So So why reinvent the wheel for us if we can learn from an industry like cybersecurity that is similar to what we do and goes hand in hand? Right. Right. And, and what you said, I think, rings so true that, um, you know, trust and safety was seen as customer service kind of off in the corner handling you know, inbound emails and account uh, password resets and things like that. When I went in house, that was kind of um, the lay of the land. And one of the things that uh, I thought immediately and I raised is, you know, what was customer service before customer success? That's really the front line. Um, they're the ones who are interacting with the customers on a daily basis. Pretty much nobody else is um, at, a, at many of these platforms, and so we ought to elevate them, empower them, and because they're the front line, right? Really get them uh, bought into this notion of trust and safety. How do you build trust with the customers? How do you ensure that it's a safe platform? So it's not just account resets. It's more looking for nefarious actors, trying right. to help, being responsive. Um, and I've seen that that trend and that change over time to where um, it's no longer an afterthought. I, th- I think that the general understanding maybe lags, but I think that there's been a, a great effort to focus on trust and safety, bringing it to the forefront and understanding not only customer service or customer success, but really everybody in the organization plays a role um, in kind of the, the the trust and safety function. Right. And, and I think in my mind, the way I look at it is that I... I'm, you know, I don't have the answer, but I'm thinking in maybe in five or 10 years time is every company that has an online presence, do they need a trust and safety department or function? And if so, what does that look like? Is that, is that can't just be a customer service person that's going to respond to emails to reset the password that has to be a moderator or that has to be someone that understands more than just customer service. Right. So that's the that's sort of where I'm going with this. And that's why I think the industry is growing, even though we're I know it's re going through a lot of uh, um, uh, job uh, changes and, and, and market changes. But right. I do think that the trust and safety industry is growing in general. It's just trying to find its feet still right. of what does it look like? What is it? Right. And I, I think that. Because every platform is different, has different features, functionalities, trust and safety looks different probably at yes. I don't want to say every organization because there are obviously organizations that look similar or platforms or, or mobile apps that look similar. But um, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all if it's a gaming platform versus a you know, ride share or something like that. And Exactly. And that's okay, right? But it's, it's incumbent, I think, upon leadership teams to just one, prioritize it, two, then figure out what does it mean for us? uh, Because I think you're exactly right. We used to say that trust is the biggest uh, barrier to conversion. So essentially with an internet business, an internet-based business, way back in the day, it was all about gaining people's trust and then they'll transact Mm -hmm. for childcare, for rideshare, for whatever. I think we've gotten to a point where, um, you know, trust is not as big of a barrier, but one thing happens uh, is mismanaged, uh, poorly handled uh, in kind of the, in the trust and safety world. These platforms, they, they get a really bad reputation really quickly. And so much of it, if there is plenty, you know, a sufficient time and attention 
paid to trust and safety, you can avoid a lot of these things. Um, and so I think that the, 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 the big kind of takeaway is whatever your organization looks like, this should be part of your conversation. Right. And I think that's why brand protection is part of trust and safety in my mind, because it is part of building the trust, ensuring that the consumers trust your brand how well, whatever brand that is, if it, if it's a, a platform for chatting, if it's a consumer to, to buy a product, whatever it is, but right. you need to build that trust at the same time as your brand so that people recognize who you are and what you stand for. And once yep. you have that, you don't want to lose it because gaining trust back, as we know in, 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 in real life, is really, really hard. And takes a long, lot more time than losing it. Right, right. I think that's right. Um, so let's turn to perhaps one of the most pressing issues when it comes to um, trust and safety, and particularly online child safety. Um, and that is what you uh, referenced before uh, the child sexual abuse material um, and or CSAM. Talk to me about how how prevalent, how big is this problem? <laughs> It is more massive than we can probably think. Um, that's that's probably the best way to answer this is we don't know what we don't know. Sure. Right. Um, you look at the numbers or the reports that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children gets in the U.S. Um, and in 2022, I think they got 32 million, 39 million reports of of suspected child sexual abuse material, right? That's And that's just reports. And in each report, there are multiple files. So as, an anal- as a former analyst, you have, would have to, I would have to go through each individual file, not just the report and look at one image, but it could be that one report has 50 images in there, if not more. And then I have to look at which ones are actually CSAM or which ones aren't. And if there's only one out of the 50 that is CSAM, I have to report that to law enforcement. Right. So that's the tough part is, is going through all of that material and then determining it, is it real or not? Which is, which is, the, which is today's biggest issue that law enforcement and I would say probably a lot of the hotlines are facing is, is the uh, Gen AI or Generative AI CSAM. Um, but CSAM's been, you know, child sexual abuse, child sexual abuse exploitation has been around since, since we humans exist. It existed in, in the Roman times, in the Greek times, they just didn't call it that. We are calling it as it is currently child sexual abuse or child sexual abuse exploitation online. CSAM is one part of it. Um, there's always, the hard part is there's always, there's a huge demand for it. So there are enough individuals on this planet that enjoy watching child, child sexual abuse online, even if they don't themselves do it. And then you've got the ones that actually do it themselves. So it is something that occurs or can occur in every neighborhood and every area of the world. It's just a case of knowing and seeing it and then reporting it. And if law enforcement can do something about it. Right. Yeah. 
and, and as, a, as a, a tech community, let's say, how, you know, how, how would you, you know, what would be your advice on um, to, you know, leadership teams to protect their communities, to be on the lookout? Are there training courses? I mean, I, the one thing I, I, I understand about this content moderation more broadly, but having to delve into and, and what you used to do as an analyst, look at these images can be very, very damaging, especially if people don't have training. And so it's, it seems like a daunting task. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts or advice just to leadership teams that where this may be a problem for them, kind of how they approach it. I would say there's there's multiple levels to this. One, use technology as much as possible to be able to identify CSAM or potential CSAM. Then um, in the U.S., you're mandated to report it to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children by law. Um, in other countries, it's slightly different. Um, but many countries have hotlines that allow you to report it um, if you come across it. The... Um, that's it. That's the one thing is use technology, identify it, report it. You can't identify everything through technology. So you do need to have moderators or uh, trust and safety professionals to be able to review the content to say, yes, this is really actually CSAM or no, this isn't. Um, to then make sure that the information that's provided back to the hotlines or to law enforcement is relevant to them so that they can take action because otherwise they get bombarded and they can't take actions in, in, if they get, you know, 10,000, let's say 10,000 to a hundred thousand reports. If one of them is, is CSAM and they can't see it because all the others aren't, they're going to miss it. So we have to find a system that allows us as technology companies, as nonprofits or hotlines, law enforcement to be able to triage the, the amount of, of reports that are there that are coming in and identify it and to be able to take action. That's one thing because reporting it is great, but if you don't know if it's CSAM or not, then you're just wasting, potentially wasting an analyst's time that mm-hmm. they could be used to focus on something else where a real child may be in danger. So we need to have a triage system in place. We need to be able to educate, of course, not only tech companies, but the nonprofits and the users to report it. Don't just ignore it or block it. Report it. There's no harm in reporting it. You're not going to get a call back or you're not going to get the police knocking on your door because you reported it. You're, if that happens, then they want more information, most likely, right? right? Not right. that you did anything wrong. So it's a case of report it when you see it, or if you think it's it's child sexual abuse material, report it because you could be the one that makes the difference for that child that's in the image. Um, you don't know that until the end. Right, right. We way back in my early days, we um, worked with the FBI on um, any time we came across any material in Chicago. There were agents that specifically dealt with this. So we actually didn't report it to NCMEC. We reported it directly to the FBI um, at their request, actually. And I mean, not to exclude NCMEC, but just said, you know, if you would like, we can handle these. I believe they actually uh, provided to NCMEC as a repository. But in any event, one of the things that they, that the um, 
agents told us was that you know, they monitor a lot of these dark web um, uh, file ch- uh, sharing uh, platforms and things like that. And they said the simple act of reporting and reporting over and over and over, the word gets out. Uh, and people who are exchanging, they understand that if they have or they use your platform or your platform comes across any of the CSAM, that you're going to report it and it's going to get back to them. So we got some really good feedback um, that they had seen. Um, there, you know, the rumor was if, if you're going to get caught on this platform, right. you're going to be reported. And um, so anyway, even you know, to, to, for, for people who are unsure about how or when or, or whatever, it, I think it really makes um, it, obviously protecting the children, protecting your community, but you can help yourself by being very vigilant um, yeah. and reporting this content. And you can you could use the same uh, slogan that the law enforcement are using in general, say, see something, say something. Right. Right. Um, you never know. You have no idea what's behind that image or behind that information that you're sending through. Um, so, yes, report it. Um, you never know. And we as a society working in this space need to come together and work together to build that triage, use technology as much as possible. But at the same time, technology can only go so far. So we need the human element that comes in it to be able to review the content and say, yes, this is definitely CSAM. Um, And that's, that's the important part. And that allows us to educate the users online. If you're a platform, as well as hotlines and tech companies to say, look, we're doing our best. We're trying. We're never going to get rid of it, but we're trying at least to do something. Um, Well, listen, I cannot thank you enough for joining me. Before we go, though, um, can you talk a little bit about the Trust and Safety Forum? When uh, is it? Where is it? What's covered? And how do people register? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, The Trust and Safety Forum is taking place the 26th, 27th of March in Lille, France, so northern France, easy to get to through Paris, London, or Brussels. Um, It is part, as I said, part of the bigger Insight Forum cybersecurity conference. So if you Google Europe Insight Forum, you will find their website, and you can register there through a a visitor's badge, which is free, Um, and you will have access to the Trust and Safety Forum, which is the 26th and 27th. The cybersecurity conference goes one day longer till the 28th. Um, we cover all aspects of, of, of topics from uh, this, this year. The focus is on AI, to no surprise to anybody, I think. But um, we're focusing, we have a couple of sessions on gaming as well as on um, intellectual property protection, um, uh, generative AI, intimate imaging, um, victim approach to terrorism content and harmful content, certainly regulations as well, European regulations, um, as well as the moderators. How do we minimize harm to moderators? Safety by design so that harmful content doesn't go onto the platforms but actually stays off before even getting to the consumers. Um, and we've got uh, an exciting lineup. So, um, you know, check out the website, check out the program. It's on there. There is a French version and an English version. So just ensure you click EN for the English version um, if you don't speak French. <laughs> or you can learn. <laughs> or you can learn. Uh, excellent. Uh, so um, 
That was March 26th and 27th in Lille, France. Um, we'll, we will certainly see you there. Um, and we can also share information out through our um, newsletter as well um, to make sure that people know about the event. Um, and uh, with that, I just want to thank you again for joining uh, joining me. And um, thank you. I will look forward to seeing you in France. Look forward to it. And thank you for listening. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. You can check out more episodes at MarketplaceRisk.com, along with information about our conferences, virtual events, and resources designed to help marketplaces and digital platforms successfully launch and grow. Don't forget to follow us on social media at MarketplaceRisk to stay up to date on upcoming programs, events, and important news.